Our lesson for the morning is salvation by faith, by faith, and uh, our text is James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, which reads as follows. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. God bless the reading of his word. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the lesson for this morning. And before we begin this lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, there's been a debate going on in Christendom ever since Protestantism broke away from Catholicism. And the subject of this Christian debate is, if a person has faith in Jesus Christ, do they actually have to live a Christian lifestyle to be eligible to go to heaven? Now, James, in, our first, in the first verse of our text for the morning, takes one side of the question. He says in James 2.14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, those that take the other side make their point using verses like John 3.16, which tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, there is nothing in John 3.16 about living a Christian life, going to church, or doing anything else that we associate with being a Christian. This verse makes believing in Jesus Christ the only criterion for receiving everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reinforces this by saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And grace is defined as God's unmerited favor, an attribute of God that causes him to act spontaneously and favorably toward us although we have no merit of our own. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes it clear that salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is the gracious gift of God. It is not of works, so there is nothing that we have to do to receive it. Now, is the insistence of the church that members of the church live a Christian lifestyle actually contrary to the teachings of the Bible? Can we simply do whatever we want and then be forgiven by God because of our faith in Jesus Christ? Now, there is a notable biblical example of someone that did that very thing. 
The episode in question is recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 33 through 35 and 39 through 43, which reads as follows. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now consider this passage of scripture. Verse 32 of Luke 23 specifies that the men being crucified with Jesus are criminals. Not only are they criminals, they are criminals that have done something so heinous that they have been sentenced to the death penalty. And in verse 41 of Luke 23, one of the criminals acknowledged that the two of them deserved their sentence. And the two criminals are speaking from the cross. Now, the Romans were cruelly efficient about crucifixion. People nailed to the cross did not come down from the cross. They were taken down after they were dead. And this fact tells us that these criminals were not going to have a chance to do anything to atone for the crimes they had committed. They were not going to be able to do anything to help with the further extension of the great work of kingdom building. They would not be able to pass out any tracts. They would not be able to present the gospel to anyone. They would not be able to put any money in church. They would not even be able to help uplift the spirits of a Christian neighbor with a kind word. These fellows were finished. But how did a criminal convicted of a capital crime being executed on the cross become the only person that the Bible tells us was saved? Yes, we assume that Peter, Paul, James, and John were all saved, but the Bible never makes that flat statement that they were saved. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 24 through 27, Paul seems to recognize the possibility that he might do something that would disqualify him for entrance into heaven. As he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run th thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So disqualification is a concern for Paul. The criminal, on the other hand, had no such concern. Jesus indicated that the criminal was going to heaven in Luke chapter 23, 42 through 43, which says, then the criminal said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. So after having lived a life worthy of execution, and as he is being executed, the criminal is assured that he is going to heaven, even lacking any opportunity for any further restitution. Is it any wonder that some people take the position that they can live any way they want, repent at the last minute, and end up in heaven? Their belief comes from their knowledge of this episode in the scripture. James, however, takes the opposite position. He tells us in our text, James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James uses a pragmatic example to make his point. Suppose you needed food and someone with resources saw your need and wished you well, but did not do anything to help you. What would you think about that person? Would you think they were a good Christian? As I was driving recently, a fellow cut me off so closely that the sides of our cars touched. I pulled over to the curb and exited my car to see the damage, and the other fellow pulled up behind me. <coughs> a lady who was not involved in the incident rolled down her window as she passed and said to me, I'll be your witness if you need one. Now, I looked at the damage, and there was only a tiny dent in the front quarter panel. The only reason I saw the dent was because my car was dirty and the content of the two cars wiped the dirt off the spot. And while I was looking at my car, the lady pulled over and wrote her name and telephone number on a piece of paper and gave it to me so I could call her if I needed a witness. She involved herself in the situation without any encouragement from me. Now Jesus tells a story about a bystander getting involved in the tragedy of others. He answers the question, as to one how it can become eligible for eternal life, eternal life being a synonym for going to heaven. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the lawyer, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, 
he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the lawyer said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now, understand that Jesus says that those that want to go to heaven should do as did the Samaritan and show mercy on the half-dead man. That, my friends, is good works. So now, which is it? Do we as Christians have to do good works or not? Well, first of all, let me say that doing good works will not get you into heaven. Were you to do all the good works that you are able to do, your good works would not atone for the fact that you are a sinner not worthy of heaven. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that people could do good works. Jesus died to remedy the fact that the sinfulness of mankind estranges man from God. God pronounced condemnation on mankind because of our universally sinful condition, which started in the Garden of Eden when the man and the woman ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and continues to this present day in which adults break the law of God and children disobey their parents. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 23 tell us, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I mentioned in the last two lessons that our starting point to understand the book of James ought to be the fact that we are all sinners in the sight of God, and that rather than thinking of ourselves as good Christians, we ought to focus on the fact that we are all guilty of sin before God. Our disobedience to God has earned us a place in hell, and we are not worthy to talk about heaven, lest known go there. You should acknowledge what I'm saying. Don't make me follow you around for a week and point out your sins, and please don't follow me. If you were to ask, based upon personal merit, who is worthy of heaven, the answer would be no one. Young people, your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents are not worthy of heaven. Adults, your children are not worthy of heaven. Brothers, your wives are not worthy of heaven. Sisters, your husbands are not worthy of heaven. Lay people, your spiritual leaders are not worthy of heaven. And clergymen, the members of your congregations are not worthy of heaven. I am not worthy of heaven, but like the thief on the cross who wasn't worthy either, I'm going to heaven anyway. Listen to Paul as he explains in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, verse 10 of Romans chapter 5 tells us that we were enemies of God, but were reconciled to him by the death of Jesus Christ. Now, God settles scores with those who are not reconciled with him at the end of time, as recorded by the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, which says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, Hades is the place of the dead, where the unsaved dead go to await their final judgment. All of God's enemies would be in one of these three places, the sea, death, or Hades, when they die. Hell is the lake of fire into which all whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast. All of God's enemies will end up in hell. Who will be the first inhabitant? The Bible tells us in the verse before our last lecture in Revelation 20.10, then the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So now the lake of fire was designed as punishment for that unholy trinity, that being the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. Knowing this, the three of them are busy influencing as many people as possible to join them in disobedience to God. Maybe these three think that if they deceive enough of us, God will choose to have mercy on some of us and then would not be able to justly justify condemning anyone, including them, to the hell that all of us deserve. If sin is worthy of death, how could a just God condemn some sinners to go to hell while allowing other sinners to go free? But in response to our sinfulness, God who is rich in mercy, developed a plan by which he could justify having mercy on mankind while still maintaining the sentence of hell for the Holy Trinity. And God did so by coming to earth in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14 informs us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God, in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect and sinless life and then died to pay the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed. Since, as Romans 6.23 tells us, the wages of sin is death, Jesus Christ, having done no sin, satisfied the justice of God by dying 
and collecting our wages for the sins that we have committed. Jesus Christ took the punishment that we are due because of our sins and the time that he spent in Hades presenting the plan of salvation to those who were there at the time gave those that died before he was born into the world a chance to repent of their sins just as the preaching of his life in our churches gives us the chance to repent of our sins. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 describe, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. So now, because of the mercy of God, we are no longer condemned to the wages of sin, but as the complete text of Romans 6 and 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God has made the avoidance of hell contingent upon our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As John 3, 16 through 21 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now, a person that believes the facts that I have just presented is probably designated as a Christian. Jesus Christ died so that our sins could be forgiven and that ultimately we could avoid the lake of fire. And Christianity is the only religion based upon this specific set of historical and spiritual facts. Jesus Christ was a real person. He did not record the events of his own life in the New Testament but he was able to convince 12 men to follow him and then to make a record testifying to what they themselves saw and heard. The record that they made and the facts of the testimony that they gave convinced so many people that not long after Jesus Christ died, Christianity was the predominant religion in the world. And to be eligible for baptism, one has to understand, believe, and have faith in the historical and spiritual facts that I have just presented in this lesson. We become Christians by faith, not by works. So the criminal on the cross that acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ was eligible for heaven, even as he was nailed to the cross. But let us go back for a moment to the scripture that I quoted from Ephesians and look at one more verse. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10 reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. So verse 10 tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus, that is, we are saved from the lake of fire and given a new perspective by his sacrifice in order that we might do good works prepared by God in advance that we should do them. God navigated the good Samaritan to the half-dead man in order that the man might receive help. People that need help cross our paths so that we as Christians can help them, develop relationships with them, and tell them the good news that we know about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our good works are a critical, are a critical component in our ability to spread the gospel. Good works do not substitute for sharing the facts that we know about Jesus, but good works do give us an entrance into the lives of the people that we help so that we can more comfortably and effectively share the good news about Jesus Christ. If you meet someone that is hungry and you decide to feed their soul by telling them about Jesus without giving them any physical food, how well do you think they will receive your information? Our text tells us in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A dead faith is a faith that you keep to yourself. It has no life because like a dead body, it does not interact with the surrounding environment. When you leave the church today, listen to the conversation that you will be having with whomever you will be talking. You will find yourself discussing subjects that are of interest to you and you will try to engage the other person to become interested in that which you are interested. You will make do your best to make your position on the subject come alive to the person with whom you are talking, and you will try to convince them to come to your way of thinking about the subject of your substance of your subject. James poses the question, is your faith in Jesus Christ living or dead? Do you live in such a way that people will be receptive to your discussion of him, and then do you discuss him with the people before whom you shine the light of your life? The story is told of two men who were good friends, one of whom was a Christian and the other was not. They lived together in the same neighborhood, worked at the same place, were bowling and golf buddies, and their wives were friends with one another. The Christian did not discuss religion with his friend because he knew his friend was not religious and did not want to ruin the friendship by seeming judgmental or by bringing up topics that they did not have in common. Finally, the two of them died and found themselves at the judgment together. The man that had no religion was called first, and the record of his life was shown, prominently displaying his sins. The record showed that his friend was with him when he committed many of them. And after this recitation of sins, the man was condemned to hell. And while the man was waiting to leave for hell, the man who was religious was called, and the judge pronounced that because of the man's faith in Jesus Christ, that his many sins would be forgiven and that he could enter heaven. His condemned friend turned when he heard the pronouncement and he looked at his former friend with shock and dismay. 
You knew about this place, the condemned man asked. You knew and you didn't tell me? You didn't warn me? Well, I didn't want to embarrass you and ruin our friendship, yelled the saved man, as his former friend was being taken away to the lake of fire and brimstone that burns forever and ever. Yes, theoretically, you can be saved without doing any good works. But James makes it clear that without your good works and your testimony, your faith is dead. And finally, for those of you that may plan to wait until you come to the point of death and then repoint at the last minute like the thief on the cross, I have one piece of information for you. The episode of the thief begins with Luke 23, 32, which says, there were two others also, criminals, led with him to be put to death. It is an interesting fact that there were two criminals that went to the cross with Jesus. Both of them were equally guilty before God, and each of them was condemned by man. The significance of this fact is, although there were two criminals, only one of them was saved. I'm sure that you can see that, according to this episode, if you wait to the last minute, you have at best a 50-50 chance to be saved, as one criminal was saved and one was not. Don't wait till the last minute, because there is no guarantee that you will have the opportunity to make your confession just before you die. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15 warns us, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort each other daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now those who hardened their hearts in the rebellion were those Israelites that would not go into the promised land when Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb tried to convince them to do so. Later, some of them changed their minds and decided to obey God, but God had withdrawn his provision for them, and it was too late for them to enter into the promised land. Don't be in that camp. There is no guarantee that judgment will not start in the next few minutes. Matthew 25, 13 tells us, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So now don't wait until it is too late to decide to believe in the historical facts of Jesus Christ and the theological realities of heaven, hell, and salvation. Today, as you hear my voice, make your decision to cast in your lot with Christ, become a Christian, be baptized, and do the good works of evangelism that the Lord has appointed to your hand. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you did for us out on Calvary's cross. And we thank you for those men who walked with you that recorded what you did on parchments and on uh, the various uh, writing implements that they had at the time and have passed the story down through the generations that we can learn about it 20 centuries later. And we ask you, Lord, that if there's any that does not know you, in the pardon of their sin, that you would make this lesson clear to their minds, that they might be able to understand that your life, death, burial, and resurrection was a historical reality, and that when you return for those who, are, who believe in you, 
that those that do not believe in you, regardless of the types of life that they have lived, will be cast into the lake of fire. So we're asking you, Lord, that you give us all saving faith this morning, that we might be able to trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for all that are in the house. As you to give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Praise God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this lesson that we could uh, discuss and come to uh, some good information about the end time scenario, the medium time scenario, and the plan of salvation. We ask you, Lord, once again, that you would help all that were in the house to understand and, and that they would be able to take this message out to those with whom they have influence. Praying for Dr. Allen and those for whom he is concerned, we ask you that you Continue to bless Brother Quarterman and that you give comfort to Sister Uat in her bereavement and bless him as he and his family on the East Coast are uh, finishing up their sabbatical year preparing to come back in the fall. So go with them and stand by them in all that they do. Praying for Sister Allen, we're asking you, Lord, that you would just, we're thanking you, Lord, that you have blessed her father and that those things that the doctors have previously seen on his various tests no longer are there and we know that you are a doctor that rules and super rules all other doctors and that you've never lost a patient we thank you for that which you have done for him and we're asking you lord that you just give them a spirit of rejoicing in that family uh, that and help them to recognize that it was by your grace uh, that, that the brother art brother uh, hersey has been healed and we're praying for sister for her mother sister artist praying for uh, uh, her sons and her daughter. We're asking that you bless in those situations that you would fix hearts and regulate minds that they might be able to do the right thing. And we're asking you that you bless those others that are on her list, Sister Harris and and uh, Sister Pendleton and uh, Sister Pruitt, uh, Sister uh, Morgan and uh, Sister Hersey and Sister Platter and Sister Owens and Brother Bragg and the Kurt, uh, Maury and Dwayne Curtis in their marriage. Sister Sherrod and Sister Noda Brown, we ask that you bless in all those cases. You know the need and you know what they require. And we ask that you meet their needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And continue to bless the store and Sister Allen as well. We thank you for these, for these little children that she brings with her. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd allow that which we are doing here to have an impact on them. Help them with their academics. Uh, help them with their reading and all the things they need to do in school. As well as helping them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We continue in prayer for Sister Beard and her son and, and for Brother uh, Young. We ask that you bless that uh, situation and that you go with them and stand by them, give them the best possible outcome uh, that they can possibly have. We know that you uh, have all power and that you can do all things, so we're praying that you bless them as well. We're continuing in prayer for Sister Rachel Dima's mother, for Mother Z, who's progressing from her stroke we're asking that you bless in these cases for also for brother rodriguez and brother tyson for mother versa and mother wills we thank you lord that Teresa was able to have the baby and now we're still in prayer uh, for those who are facing medical procedures for uh, uh, sister wendy thompson's father who's having cat cat catheterization surgery and we're asking you lord that 
and you'd be in the room with the doctor and give allow him to guide uh, the wires and all the things in the proper direction that they might be successful. Also continuing in prayer for Sister Hannah's mother, who's recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We're asking you that you give her uh, lucidity and clarity of mind, that you intercede in that situation and regenerate those brain cells that have been lost, that she might be able to continue to communicate with, the, with her loved ones. And we're praying for uh, her family as their father-in-law has uh, come to the end of his, uh, his decision to work with the, with the doctors. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would look at his case and meet his need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that you would do what is required to both give the family comfort and to give him peace as well. We're also in prayer for Sister Marie's mother, who's going in for surgery in another week or so. We ask you, Lord, that you would give the doctor the same skill that you gave him the first time that she went in and allow him to clear those blockages in the same way, that she might have the full activity of all of our limbs, all of her limbs, and be able to uh, continue to enjoy life as she is. And we're praying for Paul, Lord, as he's traveling today, as he's preparing uh, to move from one side of the state to the other and take a new position. We ask you, Lord, that you give him insight, wisdom, and skill as he goes on this new uh, situation. Uh, he'll be working in one place and uh, with one set of people. And we're asking you, Lord, that those people that he's going to work with uh, would be reasonable people. Help him, Lord. Give him the type of personality that would allow him to get along with them. Give him the level of skill and expertise that would allow him to uh, do the job that they have hired him to do and to do it well and just, get, just let, it, let those who are just smile on him so that those with whom he comes in contact will recognize that he's been with you. We're just asking Lord that you give him traveling mercies as he goes from one side of the state to the other and make it possible for him uh, to find a, a, a pleasant domicile in which to live uh, in, a, in a short time that he might be able to uh, complete his move and everything will go well. Continuing in prayer for Rick over in Iraq. We ask you that you keep him safe from our hurt, harm, and danger. For Nikki Owens and Brian, for Sarah Roberts and Eric and Amanda, we ask that you bless in all these cases that need prayer. Pray for Brother Edwards and for his family, for his wife and his son who are not here, and for his son that is here. And we're asking, Lord, that you keep them all safe and uh, that you keep his employment secure, that you make everything that, uh, that he comes into contact with, with work well for him. Continuing in prayer for uh, Sister Carruthers and Sister Alice May Nichols and Sister Goodson as well. We're asking you to bless in those cases, and we just want you to uh, just guide and direct those who are caring for them as well as send healing to their body that they might not require the care uh, very much longer. Continuing in prayer for the Fuller family and for Sister Penny Rajla, who Rick has asked us to pray for, for those who Brother Lee is asking us to pray for as well. Sister Durham and for the Smithwick family, for the Steichen family, for Mike Pillow and Janet Teddy, for Tyrone Davis and for Joseph Miller, for the Grumelot family and the Kernicke family. We're just asking you, Lord, that you go with them and stand by them, guide them and direct them. Uh, those who are in bereavement, we ask that you uplift their hearts. Those who are in sickness, Lord, we ask that you would heal their bodies, give their caregivers skill as they take care of them. And we continue in prayer for Brother Lee's family, for his wife and for his two sons. We ask you, Lord, that you give Cedric and, and, uh, and uh, Darius the steel trap minds that they need to just to take in all that academic information so that when the test time comes, they'll be able to do well on that. We ask you that you bless his wife as she is guiding young people's minds. Help, help her to give them the right information 
that they might be able to make good decisions about their future as well. Praying for Brother and Sister McClure, we ask you that you bless them for Janelle and JJ. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would, as they are away from home, that you would give them the supervision in their minds that their parents would give them if they were at home. Just help them to stay away from all things that are detrimental and to focus on those things that are beneficial. We just pray, Lord, that you give them good guidance and good direction. And we continue to pray for Sister Olney and Brother Crabb. Uh, and for uh, Mother McClure, who's down in Phoenix, allow her to enjoy the winter and let it get too cold down there. And for Brother Hokewater's family, we just ask you, Lord, that you continue to, to bless them, give them comfort in his situation as well. Uh, bless him and restore him, restore his physical body as well. And we just pray for Brother and Sister McClure. We thank you for having them with us today. We thank you that Sister McClure is all better from her cold, and we just thank, we just thank you that they're here. Continuing in prayer for the Winston family, bless Brother Winston's back and Sister Winston's shoulder. We ask you that you bless Sister Powell and Sister Porter as well. And Lord, I'm praying for Dad in Chicago, for Marvin on the East Coast, for Uncle Jab and Gary. And we, and we just ask you that you bless our Naomi is also in the city. All of the elders of the family, Lord, that you would allow them to continue, uh, that you've given them health and strength, the activity of their limb and and a portion of their right mind, we just ask that you continue to carry them along, Lord, that they might be able to enjoy these beautiful days that they have in the, in the sunset. And we just ask you, Lord, that you just go with, go with their children and their grandchildren as well. Keep the family safe and strong. Continue to pray for Sister Frazier, Brother Bowie, Brother McGill, uh, Sister Morgan, for the Northerns in uh, Houston, and for Brother Perkins and his wife and all those little girls down in Lafayette, Louisiana. Pray for Brother Russell, who's in White Hills. We're asking that you continue to bless him as he's had a chance to spend some time with his wife after recovering from that situation. We just ask you that you would uh, continue to keep him strong there. And also for Brother Sifford, we ask that you give him a good word to say as he speaks to those uh, troops on the front lines in Iraq. Help him to give them comfort, uh, knowing that you are still in the mix, although they find themselves in harm's way. And we're praying for Sister Flanagan. Uh, for her son's uh, leg, who has his son has recovered and his leg is doing better, and we're asking that you continue to get to strengthen him as he's playing basketball this season. And also praying for Sister Catherine Patton, who's going in for a pacemaker, and we're asking Lord that you bless in that situation. We just ask you also, Lord, that you pray for Sister Sabrina Powell, uh, who's in Sparrow Hospital, that you go with her and stand by her. And we're also praying for the television station for the Forgotten Man Ministry for those around the country who are recovering from the aftermath of the hurricanes of last year. We ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless them. For the, those who are in our armed forces, whether they be here or overseas, that you keep them safe from hurt, hurt harm, and danger. And that you would also help the young men and women in this neighborhood to come to a saving knowledge of you. And if there's any in our family or among our friends that does not know you in the pardon of their sins, help them as well that they might come to that knowledge. And now, Lord, we pray for this place that you've given us here. We thank you that we're able to meet today, that you've given us warmth and that you've given us uh, the other things that we have here to make the word plain. Help us, Lord, that we might be able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we thank you for all these things. I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask you that you continue uh, to go with her and stand by her as she uh, runs an operation over there on the, on the uh, west side of town. We just ask you that you would... Uh, Make sure that everyone there who is affiliated with her treats her well and that all things go well. And 
that you would give them a little less business. As folk would and just ask you to just make the folk in the society act better. And we just ask you, Lord, that you go with her in all that she does. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. There's a reality in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross physically. They laid him in Joseph's tomb. And on that first Easter Sunday morning, he rose from the dead physically. He appeared to the apostles and walked on the earth for 40 days, doing things that gave evidence to his resurrection, leaving a record that men have recorded and written for us to peruse 20 centuries later. Jesus Christ is real. There's nothing in the world more real than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he did it that our sins might be forgiven and that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us and we want to keep you in our remembrance that we can always remember what you have done. Let us remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. Knowing the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, rest in the Bible that is now henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.